0: You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you'll be challenged as you listen to a sermon entitled, One Small Man, Part 1, based on the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 26-32, through 32, recorded on Sunday, July 9, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, if you'd open your Bibles to... Mark chapter 4 verse 26 to 32 um, and before we get started there I want to give you a couple uh, updates personal both to me and to the church one personal to myself and I'll try not to take long for those of you who may be visiting the church it's always my um, great uh, humbling experience to let you know that uh, for the last seven months I've been fighting with depression uh, and uh, I've only been back in the pulpit since about April or May or something like that. And uh, and the reason I bring it up is many people keep asking me, how am I doing? And so I want you to know I'm doing fine. So if you ask me personally, and you look me in the eye, and and you say, no, really, how are you doing? I'm going to say, I'm doing fine. The reason I say I'm doing fine is because depression, for those who have had it, and most people don't get clinically depressed in their lives. So don't worry about it if you haven't been and expect it not to happen. But for those who do, they will tell you it's not a snap-out-of-it thing. Your chemicals are so mixed up, and your thinking processes often with that, it takes time. Uh, and so there's an up and down, back and forth kind of thing. There's sometimes I'm coming in here and I am feeling normal, and other times I'm feeling less than normal. Um, I'm not going to concern you with that when I talk to you. Right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. Um, so, if you ask me how to do them, I'm doing fine. Fine could mean either one. Uh, I could be having a bad week. I could be having a great week. Um, you still get fine. And that's not because I don't care to answer. It's just not going to get us anywhere. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I do want to say this about that. Um, I hope that didn't come off as cavalier. I do care that you know. It's just, you can imagine how difficult that would be when many people who are kind and love you and really do care. Uh, maybe some of you are faking it, but the others who care, it, you know, when you start drumming up these things, sometimes it's harder on you than just not talking about it, you know what I mean? So, um, but expressions of caring are always nice. Hey, I've been praying for you, and I've got a lot of that, and the church has loved me so well. I love my church now. If, if I wasn't the pastor, I'd join. Um, <laughs> well, I did, you know what I mean? <laughs> but you guys have taken good care of me, and um, and work, I've... Uh, has been good. They, I'm only doing the things only I can do and, and trying to rework the way I do work so that I don't burn myself out again. Um, but I do want to say this, it is well with my soul. And for any of you others who struggle emotionally, remember that our God is in control and everything is for our good, even trials. And um, so I want to say with Paul, who says in 2 Corinthians, not that I would say I've suffered like Paul. Uh, Don't ever think you've suffered like Paul until you've really read his story. I know I have not. But he does say this on the subject. In 2 Corinthians, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired. Look at all those words. Utterly burdened beyond our strength. that's not bad enough, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us, listen to this, rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He did not say our life was difficult because God hates us and Satan's beaten us up. He said God was working with us so that we would rely on him and not us. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. He expects more peril, and on Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, and I thank all who have prayed for me sincerely, and I know that's many, uh, that many will give thanks on our behalf um, for the blessing granted through prayer. So I do thank you. I also would say if um, you have other people around you who are struggling, make sure they're getting prayed for too. Um, that's it for the personal update. If you don't hear from me again on months for months on the subject, that's okay. I'm fine. <laughs> but there's one other thing I want to talk to the whole church about, and that is this T-Lot thing. Um, everything's an acronym in this world. The least of these, T-Lot. What are we doing, and why are we doing it, and why are we calling you to do it? Um, so it's, it's in your bulletin this week, and it, and it looks like this. Um, This initiative that is intended to glorify God. Many of you are very generous. Um, Christians get generous, period. If you're a Christian, you will get generous. And if you're a Christian, you'll increase in generosity, period. Or or something stunting your growth. Um, Because we are trained not to love this world, but to love people. And to share with them. Generous with our time. Obviously generous with our stuff. Generous with our money. Generous with everything. And many of you are very generous. But... This is a challenge to be more generous. Uh, The Bible says that that the way we treat the least of these reminds us of how we treat Jesus. And in America, let's face it, most everybody has enough to eat. Most everybody has a place to sleep. Um, Right? But there are places we can't see that we can reach now because of the modern world. And so just because they're out of sight, do we want them out of mind? Or do we want to get more glory for our God to know that there are people who are hungry in the South Sudan who are going to get food and the gospel because we help them. So our goal is to get more glory for God through this initiative. We're not going to do it every time. Some people say, well, your church is always looking for money. This doesn't go to the church, but... Um, People, by the way, who give don't say that. Um, <laughs> um, there's people who invest in the church. They don't sit around worrying about the money. Um, but just to let you know, the idea, I'd, I'm not ashamed to ask you to give more to help the poor. That doesn't bother me at all. Um, because I know that if you love Jesus, uh, if you do good works in heaven, you're going to thank me one day. Thank me for the opportunity to do that some of you may already be doing something like this now this is going to take some imagination um, if you want to give to uh, the sudan why do i say that because we don't see these people there is a movie out several years ago that i recommend you catch on netflix or anywhere you can if you haven't seen it called god grew tired of us and god grew tired of us which is about the lost boys of the sudan and um, these people, war-torn area, um, all the moms and dads were just about slain or run off and hiding. And all these, these um, mostly boys, there were some girls, mostly boys, <laughs> uh, girls get taken away and horrible things happen, but they had to walk thousands of miles for safety. Boys, no mommies, no daddies, no parents, no one organized them, boys, thousands of them. And... Um, They ended up in a refugee camp. Some of them, by God's blessing, before 9-11, were able to come to America thanks to Catholic services and something they did, and we're thankful for that. Um, 9-11 hit, and that stopped that program. Some of them right here to Pittsburgh. One of them's name is Panther Bior. He's actually stood here before and talked to us, and he's in that movie. Now, whether you know it or not, through giving to Harvest, you have helped some people in the Sudan because this South Sudan is a brand new nation. And it's a way that they can escape what's now called North Sudan, which is all Muslim. They like to kill the Southerners because they're generally Christian, right? So um, it's a brand new nation, just started a few years ago, and already they're having turmoil. And they had civil war already, and a few years ago, that meant many of Panther's tribe were hiding and starving in the woods. Now get this, because we knew this man personally, and had been to his apartment with his wife and his kids Now, in Pittsburgh, we were able to, he asked us for help, and you helped him, whether you know it or not, by giving to the Lord here. And what you helped him do was, at first, send money to buy rice, and his brother, who went to university, got big bags of rice and put them on a bike. He pedaled through the wilderness into the bush and fed these people with money you gave. All right? It made us who were close to him feel good to know we could do that. We would later send Panther back himself. You did, whether you got to make the decision or not. We used your money to send Panther back, and he was excited for his visit back. He thought it would be a warm homecoming. Now, remember, he didn't grow up in Sudan. He had to walk away from. He was born there. He had never been to his home since a little boy, and now as a grown man with a job in America, um, he goes back, and he was he he came back depressed. We thought he'd come back happy. We picked him up and we we enjoyed some time with him afterwards and he was not happy because he, he, he really took in the difference between the living conditions there that his family had to endure, his relatives and his tribe, and here. To know we could help at all by sending a couple thousand dollars worth of rice collectively was good. Now we have Samaritan's Purse We don't know who's going to get the money or who's going to get the food. We don't see who's going to get the gospel. But why is it any different? That's why it takes imagination. The reason we trust Samaritan's Purse, if you've ever read Franklin Graham's book, Rebel with a Cause, I know it's a stupid title, and I think it's out of print, but you can get it on Kindle. Great book. Um, You'll see where Samaritan's Purse comes from. They always bring the gospel. They go to the scariest places in the world, the most dangerous places in the world, and... Just watch. If you ever see a tragedy in the world, go in and type in Samaritan's purse. See how fast they get there and they bring the gospel. So this is a challenge to us as a church to store up treasures in heaven. Um, set aside some money. It says one, five, ten, twenty. Um, not to pat myself on the back because it, it 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 didn't pain me. So really, it wasn't a sacrifice. We wrote a check for a hundred right away, which is really nothing because. $100 is a lot of money, but in, you know how you could always get another 100 in America. But those numbers are small. I don't even like those numbers. Why does it say $1? Except for children. If, if that's all you got, then God sees that as, as a real sacrifice. Um, that money will be translated to the gospel and food. We don't want to just give them food. If you feed people but don't give them the gospel, they can be well fed on their way to hell. And we don't want that. So th- that's what this project is for. Now one more thing. This Do not rob Peter to pay Paul. Um, Like in any church, 20% of the people uh, pay 80% of the bills. 80% of the people benefit from the 20. Um, Those 20 probably are going to be fine. They understand how it works. We get about the same amount of money every month. We use that for ministry, for all the ministries we do, sending people to India, um, supplying pastors, paying light bills, the administrative bills that do need to be paid, it all comes out of what you give as an act of worship here at this church to advance the gospel. Um, if you take from that to give to this, <laughs> um, first, it costs you nothing. And, and uh, I can't help but hear David in my mind, far be it from me to give a sacrifice that costs me nothing. Um, but second, um, uh, you just made it a little tougher <laughs> to do ministry. So, um, over and above, I'm asking you, let's, let's do this f- for the glory of God, for the glory of God, not for the glory of harvest, and, um, and you'll see this again. I probably won't talk about it this long again, but I wanted to kick off this program with you knowing what it is, T-Lot, comes out of nowhere, one of the elders thought of it, T-Lot, 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 I, I don't know, uh, acronyms, they drive me a little N-U-T-S. All right. Now, Jesus was born. I know, that's, that's a, a newsflash. Um, in, in what, 0 AD, um, you know, Jesus born. They said, hey, let's start a new calendar. That's not really how it worked. They would later figure it out, and it was really a couple B.C. But in any case, when Jesus was born, Satan knew that the Son of God hit the ground, and he wanted to destroy Jesus. Satan knew more spiritually than we did. And he, the first attempt he made that we uh, can know about is, is, uh, is, is Herod. Herod tried to, to kill him. You know, know, envy comes from Satan, and he envied this new king. And so he sent people to kill the babies of Bethlehem, if you remember that. And the family had to quick hightail it out of town and get to Egypt. Um, uh, And and he tempted Jesus in the wilderness to try to stop him from his mission. Remember those stories from the Bible? And then he motivated Judas to betray. Even at one point, it said he came into Judas at the end. He said, he's he's motivated enough, I'm going to come and take this guy over and uh, he was trying to, to destroy the Son of God because if he destroys the Son of God, he destroys the mission of God. He sees Jesus as the one that's important. Um, and then obviously he, Satan seemed to win. Je- Jesus seemed to fail when he died on a cross. But really the joke was on the evil one because by dying on a cross, Jesus paid for the sins of the world. And on the third day, he rose again. Now you hopefully know this story. If not, you'll you'll hear it all the time if you keep coming to Harvest, and you should because this story is enough to change your soul. But what I want to think about here is once he rose from the dead, what changed? What really changed? Because God's prophets and his Bible were in the world through the Jews before that, and now his teachers, the apostles, were in the world. What changed? What changed was he he rose from the dead, and from that time on, the kingdom of God begin to spread, and millions and millions and millions have joined. Back when I, now many of you may not know this, some of you may remember it. McDonald's used to put a number on the sign of how many burgers they sold, and I remember when they hit like a million. I mean, that was what in the seventies. It said a million burgers sold. Now, is there anything on the sign at all now? I think for a while they just said millions and millions, and now they say, ah, forget it. You know. We've, we we shoved so much of the slop down your throat, you know, it's, we can't even count. <laughs> but I think of the kingdom of God started, Satan went after one man. If I can stop one man's mission, if I can tempt Jesus to sin one time, I stop the whole mission. But since he didn't stop him, there are millions of us. But what, what, what grabs my attention there is that the fate of all humanity Hinged on the life of one man. Now, Jesus is God forever. But that event of incarnation, of taking on flesh, he was a man. He was fully God, yes, but he was fully man. He was just as vulnerable as a little baby as any little baby born today. And and, and everything hinged on him, right? Think of it this way. Everyone in the Old Testament is expendable. If Abraham wouldn't have faith, God could get another Abraham, right? If Moses, in fact, he told Moses once, these, these, these Hebrews are all disobedient. How about I kill them all? We'll start over with you. Apparently, everybody's expendable, right? If, if, if David doesn't take care of business, God will get another man to take care of business. And same with the apostles. It doesn't have to be those 12, it could be any, anyone God wants. We're all kind of expendable. But not Jesus. He's unique. He was the only man without sin. The only man who's the son of God. And the only man who could pull off this mission. But he was very much a human being. The only hope for the world. This almost sounds like a superhero movie. But it really is. Except for he's not a superhero. He's the hero. Um, it's Jesus. The short Life of one Middle Eastern man 2,000 years ago is what God put all his chips on, if you will. He says, I'm all in with this one dude. God wants to build a great nation. That's what a kingdom is. He starts with one small man. Small, he's probably 5'10", 5'9", 165 pounds, probably, because that's the average height especially then, they were a little shorter then. Let's look at our text, Mark 26 to 32. There's two parables in a row here. They're both parables of the kingdom of God, but both of them spotlight the small beginning. And that's why I started where I started. Today, we're only gonna get to the first parable. So this sermon really is gonna take two weeks to preach, but I'll give you a nice seven-day gap in the middle so you don't get tired, all right? (laughs) We'll come back in a week. And we'll, we'll finish the sermon. But we're going to get to the first parable today. So we'll, would you look at the scripture with me? Mark 4, 26. It says, And he said, This is Jesus talking. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day. So his days are passing by. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. The farmer doesn't have to do anything. First, the blade, we got this little pot on my, uh, uh, um, about that big, um, sitting behind our sink, and, and I could tell right away what it was, because it reminded me of when you're a little kid, they give you these things, and it had some kind of dirt in it, and uh, so I poured a little water in it, There's nothing there but dirt, and I'm sure my wife was pouring water in it, I didn't know how it got there, well today, and this was about a week ago or so, today there's a little green thing shooting up, okay, that's what he says, the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once, he puts in the sickle, a sharp thing to cut with, because the harvest has come. So that's the whole, that's the whole story. Jesus says, hmm, how can I describe the kingdom of God to you? It's very important that he does, because no one else is going to. He's, he's the one who's introduced the concept. If you read through the Bible, you do see a lot of hints of the kingdom of God, but no one talks like that until he shows up. <laughs> And then, and then he's going to say, hmm, what, what's it like? And he uses something anyone who's ever seen anything grow can figure out. Th- this guy has dirt. He puts seeds in dirt. He goes to bed. He gets up in the morning. What's, what's changed? Nothing. There's just dirt. And then he goes to bed, and he gets up in the morning. What's changed? Nothing. This will take, well, however long it says on the back of the seed pack it's going to take. <laughs> Until eventually something pops up and then it'll grow, and then harvest. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdoms of of God is like. How enlightening, right? What's he talking about? The man threw the seeds because his goal was to harvest. All right, there's a lot more we could pull out of this. Well, really not the fact that it's mysterious, the fact that it grows on its own, the fact that God makes it grow, not man. But really the point of this thing is the guy throws the seed and it grows on its own so that we can get to a harvest. He didn't prepare the land. He didn't till the soil and throw in the seeds just because he likes to watch plants grow. He wanted the fruit, the vegetable, the grain, whatever he's growing, he wants to take it and eat it. So it is with the kingdom of God. Now, with the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a little soil. We're talking about all the soil on the planet. And if you live on a houseboat, we're talking about the water. Wherever you can grow a human soul is his garden. So it is with the kingdom. If you can catch this, the Bible indicates that the ground was ready when Jesus was born. Like whatever it took to get the garden of mankind ready—Adam, E, Cain, Abel, Noah, all the rest of that nations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob—and then and then the, all the empires, the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. Now the ground is ready. God, the farmer, says, "I got the ground ready. Now it's time to plant." When Jesus came, the ground was prepared. You see, when Jesus showed up, he said something new. Let me show it to you. Mark 1, 15, he said, the time is fulfilled. So easy to fly right by that, isn't it? Paul would later say, at the proper time, Christ came. The time is fulfilled. What time, Jesus? The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. It means it's here. Here it is. Well, I can't see it. Well, if you plant seeds in the garden, you can't see anything either, can you? Just wait. It'll grow. And it's been growing. Christians throughout the centuries, you're you're a bunch of little plants. But you're not harvest ready yet. So fatten up a little bit out there. That was funny to me, not to you. Okay, must all be on the CrossFit thing. He says, the kingdom of heaven is near, or is at hand, therefore repent and believe. He doesn't say therefore, but that's natural. Repent and believe the gospel, which means the good news. What's the good news? He's going to develop that. But you could say, where is the kingdom? Jesus, you showed up in AD 0 or whatever, and nothing changed. The Romans were still in charge, and everybody, everything seemed to go on as it always had. Nobody in what is now China or now America or way up in England or wherever the Vikings came from or or down in the, the bottom of Africa, they didn't know anything changed after you died and rose and all that stuff. The ground looked just the same as it did before. But Jesus declared, the kingdom of God is at hand. Something began. Something started. What started, to stick with the metaphor springtime had come to the earth. When Jesus came, winter was over. Springtime had come to the earth. God is the farmer. He plants with a view to the harvest. Let me say this plainly and without the metaphor, all right? And from here on, I want to be as plain as possible. When the Bible... this is a take note part because it's a summary statement here. When the Bible tells us that God is seeking a harvest, it is speaking of the time at the end of all things when God separates every human who has ever lived into two groups. One group he brings into his kingdom to live with him forever. The other group he banishes from his presence into eternal punishment. That's all the result of this parable. When it's ripe, he harvests. This is not just something he said once in Mark chapter 4. This is a theme of the scripture. So just to make sure we understand how the planting works, how the thing works, I'm going to say as plain as I can. The kingdom of God works like this. How's the kingdom work? God sent his son to reveal God to the world, and he did. He did. And all he said and all he did. But then he sent him to go to a cross to atone for the sins of the world. To with his blood pay for your sins and mine. To satisfy the anger of God at you. Because of your sins. Because he loves you. Same God has anger at me that has love for me? Absolutely. That's This is nothing like we can imagine on earth. You can say, Well, I can be mad at my kids and still love them. That's nothing like this. God is holy. He hates sin. And yet, though He's thoroughly offended by you, He loves you so much, He sends that which is most precious to Him to atone for your sins. So Christ purchased souls with blood, is how the Bible talks about it. He died to save sinners. It may not look like the world has changed, but the unstoppable growth has begun, and human history is a story. Human history is a farm report. I don't care if you're studying Napoleon or Genghis Khan or anybody else. It's just a farm report. Where are the Christians growing? Where is the word going? That's all it is. And one day, everything's going to be ripe for harvest. And then that's it. History's purpose is to create a harvest of souls. Harvest time will come when he puts in his sickle. Now that sickle, it can be a nice image if you see yourself getting food. It's not so nice an image if you see it cutting you. What we're talking about here is heaven and hell in the common vernacular. It's a little too simple, but that's what we're talking about. In a moment, just to answer the question before it's asked, and you can ask it again if you didn't catch it, when a believer dies, his soul goes to be with God right away. When an unbeliever dies, his soul goes to torment right away. But that is not ultimate heaven and hell or the ultimate destiny of either one of them ultimate destiny is their bodies will be raised from the ground at harvest time. And they will be reunited with that body and some sent to eternal joy with God and some sent to eternal punishment. Today's world rejects this idea and finds it offensive. That's not new. Hell is considered not fair. Hell is considered not just. And many people blaspheme God regularly, saying, I don't know why I'd serve a God who sends people to hell. Blaspheme is if they are righteous and he is not, and they're going to judge him. Now, those opinions coming from lost folks should not offend you. If they offend God, let him be offended. Lost people are lost. I was lost once too. And I I definitely blasphemed in various and creative ways. Many of them having to do with humor. But when it comes from people in the so-called church, well, I think then it's time for a fight. In our day, there are a lot of Christians trying to alter the doctrines of heaven and hell. Because they don't like them. For that reason, I have one purpose in this message. And that is to sure up your understanding of what the Bible teaches about the harvest at the end of the age. To do that, I've taken a small portion of what the Bible says on the subject. And we will read it together. Actually, don't try to read it with me because <laughs> we have to stay you know, in time and all that stuff. Let me read it and you read along with your eyes. Starting with Daniel starting not in the new testament but the old i'm starting 600 years before the birth of christ this is at the very end of the book of daniel an angel is talking to daniel in a vision that's cool all right that's just cool right i don't care who you are that is so stinking cool I would love to see an angel in a vision. Although, normally when guys see angels in visions, they get really sick or or fearful. So maybe I don't want that to happen. It's not a good time for me. And, you know, just how much Prozac do you need? But (laughs) that's what's happening here. At that time shall arise Michael. That's an angel. The only archangel in the Bible. Have I ever mentioned that before? (laughs) The great prince who is in charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never been since there was a nation till that time. How many times do you remember Jesus saying similar things about the end, about the time of tribulation? But at that time, your people shall be delivered. If you remember last week, his Jewish people, remember that? Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. If you thought the book of life was just a New Testament idea, there it is right there. Now watch this. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. It doesn't mean some won't. By many, it's saying there will be lots of people. (laughs) Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. There it is. As plain as possible. Both bodies. OJ did it. OJ didn't do it. Well, why don't we just wait for the girl to get up and tell us who did it? Because she will. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. Right now, your, your relatives and friends might think you're a pretty dull bulb, but I, you just show them on that day how you shine, All right. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book until the end of time of the end. He's actually saying, Daniel, you can't, understand. you can't handle the truth, he's saying to Daniel. Just shut it up. Write down what I said. And at the end, they'll figure out what I'm talking about. Why will the righteous shine like the sun? Because they understand the stakes. They're not wishy-washy, mealy-mouthed, so-called Christians who go around saying, don't worry, God would never punish anybody. Well, then what on earth do we have to save them from? Isaiah 66, again, Old Testament, farther back, 700 years before Christ. For as the new heavens and the new earth, God is speaking in first person through the prophet, that I will... Make that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. They shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. There will be at the end of all things some people suffering. Go back farther, Psalm 1 to David. So now we're back to 1,000 B.C. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's jump to John the Baptist. He didn't just baptize, he also preached. Well, what did he have to say? He said, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Even now, God is prepared to chop down you people for your sin. Even now, in 2017, in Harvest Community Church, there are people hearing the word and living sinful lives, disobeying God. And even now, God has an ax and he's ready to chop. Because if it was even now when John said it, it's definitely even now now. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. His sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's the good part. And fire, that's the bad part. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor. More farming pictures. Why does God use so many farming pictures? Because in every generation people have to grow food. Culture to culture can get farming. He will clear the threshing floor, gather the wheat in the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is what John says is the reason the Messiah is coming. The reason Jesus is coming is to be gentle, Jesus, meek and mild. Well, I just wouldn't worship a Jesus who's not a Jesus of love. It's not what John says. He says he's coming to throw some people in fire. Jesus' own words from Matthew 13. And he's explaining a parable. Um, I don't want to go into the parable. It's hard for me to resist telling whole stories, but don't worry about it. There's a field with wheat in it and weeds in it. That's a, and here's the explanation. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus. He's the chief farmer. The field is the world. The, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Okay, yay, you're a seed. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. So, so when you see the, you, you're, a, you're wheat, but there are weeds. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. <laughs> the weeds are the, and the enemy has sowed them is the devil. The harvest is, look at this, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. That's not That is not a story. That is is not parable. That is not symbol. He's, He's saying, I'm explaining the symbol. The reality is, at the end of the age, there's a harvest and the angels will reap. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire in real life, so it will be at the end of the age. And these are human beings. The Son of Man will send his angels And they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. The kingdom of heaven will have no sinners. (laughs) We're not going to let that in here. They're thrown in the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then there's another group. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The same man who inspired Daniel, because he is God, to say something almost the same. Now, by the way, lest you be new to understanding how grace works and get this wrong, and when it says he's going to throw away all causes of sin and lawbreakers, that's all of us, unless you are redeemed by the blood of Christ. In other words, unless you put your faith in Christ and have your sins washed away, there's nobody who's good enough. Nobody. I mean, I've definitely been a cause for law breaking, but I repented and turned to the Lord, and He washed away my sin, and I've been born again, and I have new life. So I will be with the righteous. Then you might say, "Well, you don't deserve it. You're not as good as me." And you know, I some people who, who knew me growing up say, I know my brother was better than you. And I could say, yeah, morally, between us, he was. But guess what? We're both sinners. I took a bath. He hasn't. The righteous are so by grace. So if you see yourself at the harvest and you're feeling safe, praise your God. Matthew 13, again, the words of Jesus. Jesus. It was funny. Who was it? I was—I don't know. if I was watching Rob Bell or some other yo-yo, um, saying Jesus never talked about hell. Some one yo-yo was saying that. I don't know. Do they just say these things thinking nobody checks? Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven, and it's not because he's—he's—he's—you know—he doesn't walk around in a Punisher shirt going, "Dude, ACDC." He's not into dark things. He's trying to say there's a way out of this. Don't go there. Here's Jesus again. In case you didn't get it the first time, Jesus says again. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea, and it gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore. They sat down. They sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. I wonder what that parable means well it couldn't mean heaven and hell it must mean something about bad people have to go to a place where they can learn better and then, well let's not worry about it because jesus explains this one he says so it'll be at the end of the age the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them in the fiery furnace that's not a parable that's what will happen and i'm stopping here you might like, I can't take anymore. It is hard to think about, but think about it because it matters. I've only scratched the surface. The harvest at the end of time is sure to happen, it will happen. There will be justice on the earth. Every sin will be paid for, either by the blood of Christ or the person who rejects Christ will pay himself false teachers infiltrate and lead Christians away you are you have the internet at your disposal you have you, trust me you can go to a lot of churches right here in good old small town Pennsylvania that'll tell you don't worry about what he's saying it ain't so and those people are leading Christians to destruction what is question I want to ask and answer quickly. The danger of rejecting this doctrine that states that God's purpose on earth is to create a harvest for heaven and to send the rest of the people to hell. What's the danger of rejecting? Well, let's just not think about that. Let's think about the good things. Remember when he did the loaf and bread? The fishes and breads? That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Remember when he let children go on his lap? Wasn't that fun? Although, did he go on his lap? He says he... I think he played with him in a while. I don't know if he sat down. Anyway. I always get these visions. I don't I almost don't like Bible art. Because I get these visions of this very white German Jesus sitting on the ground with suburban white kids from the 50s running to him going, ah yeah, who's with me on that? Have you guys seen that picture? Just quit drawing pictures of what happened in the Bible. Let my imagination go. What is the danger of rejecting that doctrine? One, we get a skewed view of God's holiness and we tolerate sins as acceptable. Sin's obviously not that serious to God. Everybody gets in. And you just tolerate it. I will say it over and over again because Christians don't seem to get this. That probably the number one sin of Christians, and I hate to lay this on the feet of the unmarried, but I have to, is that they sleep with people when they're not married to them and they think, What's the big deal? I can go to church and do this. No, you can't. Maybe for you married folks, it's porn. Sin is not acceptable. God throws people into fiery furnaces for the sins you think are fun. And yeah, they're fun, or why else would you do them? Second, we lose our motivation for missions. What do we care about the people who don't hear the gospel? That will be fine. Third, we make all the doctrines of the Bible subjective. In other words, everything depends on what we like or don't like. In the fall, I'm doing a series called Men, Women, and God. This will be fun. I guarantee you, unbelievers and Christians together will hate me when I'm done. Because when it comes to men and women, Christians love to bend what the Bible says to whatever they want it to say. If you're going to do it with hell and you can do it with men and women, why not do it with anything? Four, we emphasize quality of life on this earth over the eternal destiny of the human race. This is why you have people, organizations like World Vision who have largely stopped preaching the gospel. If you're supporting kids with World Vision, fine. They're eating, that's a good thing. But when those kids are done, support them with compassion instead so the kids can get the gospel. Because they think, well, we're feeding them. You should feed hungry people. I'm for feeding hungry people. I'm for helping people in natural disasters. I'm for stopping wars wherever you can stop wars. But if you think you've brought the kingdom of God because you fed the hungry, when well, you haven't shared the gospel, you have not. You've just prolonged a sinner's life. The agony is still coming without The gospel. Fifth, we lose the need to pray for the lost, seeking to reach them for the kingdom of God. We start to forget our friends and family and co-workers even matter, that they have souls, that one day they will stand before God and their deeds will be exposed and there'll be no hiding them and they'll be much uglier than you think they are. And you don't care because God wouldn't be mean to my friend. We belittle Six, we belittle the cross of Christ. Why on earth did he? (laughs) We belittle the greatness of God's gift of love. What was he saving us from? You see, God's understanding is greater than ours. To not struggle with the doctrine of hell is to to be callous. (laughs) It's to be, if you don't struggle at all, ever, with the doctrine of hell, I don't know if you're a thinking human. I don't know if I insulted someone just now. (laughs) I didn't mean to. I mean, I just, I don't, I can't imagine. Never. But just because I struggle does not mean that my thoughts are as great as God's thoughts. I'm back where Job was in great suffering, saying, God, I can't find out what I did wrong. God never says what he did wrong because he did nothing wrong. But he does say this. Were you there when I was making the universe? No, no. Okay then, some things are beyond you. I, I'd rather stand with Zephaniah who said, the Lord is righteous, he does no injustice. Zephaniah 3.5. You don't have to understand it. It's true. In a hundred years, none of us are probably going to be standing above the terra firma. But we will be Somewhere. Later, there will be a time of judgment for all the earth, and you have one of two possible destinies. And if you're in here tonight, this is one of the two possible destinies that you will have. There's not a third option. You can't say, well, I'll go to another church believe something different. It doesn't matter. Truth is truth. God has said it. This will be your destiny or something else. Let's start with this one. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man. That would be Jesus. And a golden crown on his head. And what's in his hand? A sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come. For the harvest Of the earth is fully ripe. So he sat on the cloud, swung his sickle on the earth. That's obviously figurative language, but still, we know the angels did it because Jesus said they would in non figurative language. I don't think they need a sickle, is what I'm getting at. And the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven. He too had a sharp sickle, and another angel came out from the altar, and the angel had authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, he said, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So we see these numbers of, I don't know, I guess it takes a lot of angels to pick us all up. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God you do not want to be there you do not want to be in the wine press of God's anger and even more straightforward I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it and from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened and I know what's in those books (laughs) it's what I did It's it's the deeds of man, and no one is righteous. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. No one's going to be punished more than they deserve. And some will be punished more than others. But no one's going to get off for a single crime. According to what they had done, and the sea gave up, they were dead. This is a resurrection of people who are going to go to hell. And the death in Hades, that'd be the grave, gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what? To what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Which means what? It means if you escape this judgment, you never have to worry about dying. Which means you never have to worry about sinning. Because the wage of sin is death. Wouldn't it be nice? Won't that be good? This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Handle that, Rob Bell, or anybody else. With your, Because there's so many Christians just want to be cool. They want to be hip. They want to show. Well, I'm not like those backward Christian brothers of mine who just believe this, this mean stuff. I'm a little hip. Look, if you're trying to suck up to the world and say things they want to hear, you have nothing to offer them. You're just giving them themselves with God words. They don't need that. <laughs> you're just giving me what I already believe. If you don't think this world is filled with sin, Look at penlive.com every day. They love showing you. Some guy got into a road rage incident with this 18 year old girl just last week. She beat him to the single lane. So he took out a pistol and shot her in the head. 18 years old. She's dead. He was like 27, 37. Now, lest you judge him, you've been pretty ticked off. I'm glad you didn't have a gun in your hand. But he will pay. Unless he turns to Christ. Now the other alternative, and this is the other and this one's much better. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. That's the church somehow prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice calling from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He can live with us now openly because there's no sin here anymore. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be sadness, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. I'm glad those are the former things. I'm glad those are the former things. I'm glad those are things passing away. Pain and sadness and death are not only going to be former things. They're only here for a little while. Doesn't that make you feel good? Why are you yelling? Because you go through depression. And I'm serious as a heart attack here. Lose someone you love. Fight with your, with your own demons for a while. Former things, former things. they're not even formidable things. I've passed away. And he who is sitting on the throne, Jesus says, "I'm making everything new." And he says to John, love this, write this down. Write this down. I want the world to know. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it's done, John. John, it's done. That's all you need to see. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the alpha and the omega. To the thirsty, I give water without payment. Now, what about you? What about you? If that day were here today, if the harvest were here today, where would you go? Where would you go? Trust me, there is no escape from the eyes of God. If you have not truly repented, and I mean for truth, not gone to church and faked it, and given your life to Jesus Christ, your soul is in mortal danger. And today is the day when you should repent and turn and call on God to save you. And Jesus just promised you he'll do that. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.